Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Almost every year at summertime, we, go, uh, we, we get to go away to a beach with my family. And one of my favorite things is taking my kids down to the water, my boys. And when they were smaller, it was a little bit easier because I could hold them better, right? And we would go out into the waves. And it's a, a, a beach that has like a really long, steady drop. So you can kind of get way out there and you're only waist deep in this water. And the waves start coming, right? You know how that is with little ones, and they love it. My kids love when they're out in the water and the waves are coming, and you know, you're kind of bobbing, you're trying to keep their head above the salt water, and then every now and then you get a big wave that comes, and you kind of like turn them and you shield, you know, with your body from the water coming, because you know that if that salt water gets in their eyes or in their mouth, the squeals of joy and laughter will turn to screams of terror they'll start gagging and spitting and coughing and they're like you go from parent of the year to worst parent ever like that okay and so as a parent you're you're always trying to kind of lift them and prepare them for the next wave and I was thinking about life life comes at us in waves at one time you were single and then many of you, you found someone to start dating. And then you had to figure out dating, right? And then some of you, it, it took you a while to get married. Some of you got married like the next day. I don't know your story. But then you had to figure out how do we be married, right? You have another wave called marriage of like, oh, gosh, like how do we live together like this? And then all of a sudden you have kids and another wave hits and you're like, ah, children, we got to feed them and get them to bed and change diapers and stay sane. And then those kids grow up and then they start getting into the phases and they come to a phase where you're just ripping your hair out as a parent. You're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, right? If, if I could just get them to stop doing whatever that is. And then all of a sudden they outgrow the phase and you breathe a sigh of relief. And then another phase comes, and you're like, ah, right? And it's the waves keep coming. And then you have adult children, and you're helping them navigate all the things of life. And then you have grandkids, and then you have aging parents, and then you have retirement, and then you have your own health issues. And I used to think when I was younger that life would get easier. I don't know if, if, if y'all felt that way. Like, you know, it's going to be so It's going to get easier, right? It's hard right now, but it's going to get easier. But I've just found that life keeps coming with a new wave. And the question I want to pose to us is how do we stay anchored? How do we stay anchored in the midst of the waves that come? And how do we do more than just survive? Because there are times when surviving is a win, right? <laughs> Parents, sometimes you make it through a weekend with your children, you're like, we, we survived, praise God. But if we live from survival constantly, that's, that's no way to live, right? How do we become all that God wants us to be 
when the waves come? How do we stay anchored? And how do we become all that God wants us to be in the midst of the waves? What we're doing is we're starting a new series called 40 Days. And what this is, is kind of our uh, renaissance response to Lent. Lent is a season of preparation. It's a season of confession, repentance, and renewal. And it's, and it's a 40-day uh, time period where we're going to embrace spiritual disciplines together. And I want to challenge you to join with us on this journey, okay? Some of you are going to hear this, and you're like, eh, I don't know. Go for it, okay? The things that we're talking about over the next six weeks, I want you to go for them because God's going to use this in your life. This week, we're going to spotlight prayer because I believe prayer is a gift from God to us that helps us stay anchored in the waves of life and it helps us to become all that God wants us to be in every season, okay? So we're gonna talk about prayer this morning. In this 40-day series, I want you to understand that the, the number 40 has significance. You're gonna see it all over your Bible, God floods the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The the number 40 signifies trial, testing, probation, but it ends with a new beginning and with revival. God floods the earth and he starts over. It's a new beginning. He repopulates the earth through Noah and his family. We see the, the, the mountain of God where Moses goes up for 40 days and 40 nights and he comes down with the law and the Ten Commandments and it's a new beginning for the people of Israel. Then the people of Israel, they grieve God's heart and then he makes them wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Talk about testing and trial. But then they cross over into the promised land, a new beginning, a revival, Jesus, after his baptism, he's, he's praying for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end, he's tempted and he's tested, but then he begins his new ministry. It's a new beginning. And so this number 40 is significant. As we look at 40 days of embracing spiritual practices, what, what we're expecting is that God's going to revive us. He's gonna give us new beginnings in our life. And so that's what we're going to do together as a church body. To talk about prayer, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can go there. I don't think we have it on the screens today. So, man, if you've been depending on us, we've let you down big time today. Matthew 6, verse 5 through 13. If you have a, a Bible app on your phone, you can pull that out. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This was a key teaching of Jesus. This was really a essential understanding of what Jesus came to do. And what he's going to do is lay out all of these uh, different uh, topics or, or things he's gonna teach on, and one of them is prayer. And so in Matthew chapter six, verse five, it says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse seven, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. 
Verse nine, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. And so Jesus has been through the 40 days of, of fasting and trial. In Matthew chapter four, it's before this. In Matthew 5, now he's emerged and all the crowds are coming. They, they hear about his teaching with power. He's healing people. There's a buzz growing. And in Matthew 5, verse 1 and 2, it says that Jesus seeing the crowds. Now imagine that. He's lived in obscurity for 30 years. And then all of a sudden, it's his moment. The crowds are coming. People are here. Jesus, come on. Let's go out there. What does he do? He takes his disciples up a mountain and he begins to teach them. And I love that little detail because we see that our Savior was not allured by fame or popularity, but that he had come for a mission. And part of that mission was to teach us to pray. And here's the big idea that Jesus gives him. Our Father treasures and rewards prayers that are prayed in secret places. That's the big idea. That's what he told him. Our Father treasures and rewards prayers that are prayed in secret places. But I want us to unpack this together. I want to start back in verse five, and I just want to point out some words to you. We're just kind of scan through this. In verse five, he begins, whenever you pray, if you skip to verse six, he says, but when you pray, if you go to verse seven, he says, when you pray. Now, I just want to start with the, the most obvious thing is that with Jesus, it's not if, it's when. When it comes to prayer, it's not if you're going to pray. Here's what I recommend. He's saying, no, no, when you pray. Clearly, Jesus wants his followers to be people of prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in him, if you've made him Lord of your life, he has summoned you to become a person of prayer. It's not if, it's when. I, I think it's interesting when you look at Matthew chapter four and the temptation of Christ that there's not a whole lot of detail. It's 40 days. He just says he fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. That's all we know. And we know at the end of that 40 days, Satan comes and tests him. But what I think is fascinating about that lack of detail is that I believe Jesus was practicing the very thing that he's going to teach his disciples to do. He's going to spend 40 days in secret place and he's going to pray and he's gonna prepare. You see, Jesus is not only our atonement. He's not only our sacrificial savior. He's not only the one who makes us right with the Father. He is also our model of what it means to walk with God. In Luke chapter five, verse 16, it says, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Now that fascinates me 
Because Paul said about Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. And if the Son of God needs to pull away often to pray to his Father, how much more do you and I need to become people of the secret place in people of prayer? It's not if, it's when. When you pray, Jesus has summoned us to become people of prayer. And here's the tension for you and me. This is, this is what gets us tripped up when it comes to secret place prayer. The tension is our time. Am I right? Who's got time for that? I found a quote from Oswald Chambers. It's from a book called um, The Psychology of Redemption. And he wrote this. Remember, no one has time to pray. We have to take time from other things that are valuable. Stop right there. We have to take time from other things that are valuable in order to understand how valuable prayer is. Nobody has time for prayer. Another little interesting detail. Oswald Chambers died in 1917, meaning he probably wrote this in the early 1900s before people were traveling on interstate highways. The Model T had been released, but that was pretty primitive at that time. Before people were traveling on airplanes, before people were watching television or surfing the internet or holding smartphones in their hands, before all of that, a man tells us, hey, here's the reality. Nobody's got time for prayer. Which means this, busying ourselves is not a new thing. It's not a 21st century problem. It's an every generation of humanity problem. And God's calling us to take time away from things that are valuable to invest them in something that is more valuable. Secret places of prayer. To belong to the kingdom is to shift our values. It's to say, this thing that used to be so valuable to me, not that valuable anymore. But this thing that had no value to me before I knew Jesus, now this is the most important thing in my life. The tension is our time. It's not if, it's when. The second thing that I think we need to understand about what Jesus is saying is that it's not about performance, it's about perspective. It's not about performance. Prayer's not a performance, it's about perspective. We see this in verses five as we continue on in that part that we first read whenever you pray. He says this, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, check this out, to be seen by people. That's the key phrase, to be seen by people. Now, I think this is hard for us to, to wrap our minds around because our culture doesn't value religious piety like that. If you were to go out onto the street corner here and wait till like rush hour and then put on a robe and start praying and lifting your hands to God, nobody would think you're really awesome. Am I right? 
people are like, whoa, what's up with that guy? Some, some sort of radical extremist. Wow, he's praying on the street corner to freak out, right? Call the police. Because we don't value that. But in this day and in this culture, they valued that. And they did it to be seen by people. They were performing for others. Now for us, it's different, but the same things are at work. For example, when you're praying with other people, some of you hate praying in front of other people, right? You're like, ugh. You go to house church and it's time for prayer and you're like, don't pray. And in house church, when you're praying with other people, you can either gear up and be like, man, I've, I've, spent, I've spent some time with some people who know how to pray, and I know all the words, and I'm going to throw in, like, glory, and I'm going to throw in, like, uh, manifestation, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in another word over here. Like, we have all the spiritual lingo, and then we're going to, like, man, I'm going to gear up, and then when it's time my turn, man, i got a great prayer I'm going to pray. It's going to be awesome. And, but the problem is that we're doing that to be seen by people. But I think we're more guilty of maybe another Opposite, but the same spirit, which is I'm not going to pray because I'm afraid of what they're going to think about my prayer. You know, that's the same mentality, just from the other direction. It's the other side of the coin to say, what will people think about my prayer? You know, God loves simple, honest prayers. I want to encourage you, if you don't know the lingo, but your heart wants to pray to your Father, I want to encourage you to pray. We love prayers like that. Your Father loves prayers like that. It's not a performance. Verse 7, he talks about a different kind of performance. He says this, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they will be heard For their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So he's saying, look, don't be a religious snob and don't be a pagan Gentile because here's the the other end of the spectrum. It was a mindless repetition saying the name of their God over and over again. If they were just they would just say it over and over again, then they would think they were conjuring up something. Finally, God will hear. Finally, God will work if I just say it enough times. And they would repeat it mindlessly. And he's saying, look, don't be like them. Don't be like them. It's not a performance for God. And here's the tension. The tension for us is our trust. That's what Jesus says. It's our trust. Because he tells them, your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to know that I don't have to say it enough times to where he's finally going to come and do his thing, but that he already knows before I ever come in? It's our trust. Prayer is rooted in trust. It's not arm-twisting God, but it's trustingly bringing everything before him, knowing that he loves us and he hears us and he rewards prayers that are prayed in secret places. And here's the thing. 
when prayer is rooted in trust, we gain perspective. We start getting a higher vantage point. We start praying about all the stuff of our life and our parenting or our relationships or our work or our health or whatever's happening and we start pouring that out and then all of a sudden we start to see things a little bit differently because we, we get a higher vantage point. We start seeing God's perspective on our issues. I, I, the quote that Oswald Chambers um, from earlier, it, it goes on. He says this, the things that act like thorns and stings in our personal lives will go away instantly when we pray. What? Read that again. The things that act like thorns and stings in our personal lives will go away instantly when we pray. We don't feel the smart anymore or the pain because we have God's point of view about them. Prayer means that we get into union with God's view of other people. Our devotion as saints is to identify ourselves with God's interests in other lives. That when we pray, when we go into secret places and we lay out our requests before him, we gain his perspective. And oh, friends, we need perspective because you know and I know another wave is probably coming. And we need God's perspective. And I believe that God wants to give us his perspective, not just about our problems, but he wants to give us his perspective on his plans for us. I think that God wants to give us his perspective on the lost people in our lives. He wants to give us his perspective on the kingdom and on nations. Like he wants to give us perspective. It's not about performance. It's about perspective. Third, it's not about immediacy. It's about intimacy. Intimacy. This is the theme of this whole uh, portion of scripture. It, we find it in verse six. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the repeated theme that our God's in secret. He says this about giving. Hey, give secretly. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Like, give secretly. He says this over and over again about all the issues. Go into the secret. Do it in secret because your father knows everything. He's in secret. And he sees you. I uh, was reading a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. It was a white elephant gift. Um, we had a white elephant gift party as a staff, and, or sorry, as a, as a team of leaders. We don't really have a staff yet, so <laughs> I'd hire all of you if I could. But um, as a team of leaders, and we were giving all of our gifts, and white elephant is either you give the gift that everybody wants to steal and fight for, right? or you find all the stuff that you don't want anymore and you just throw it in a bag. And so apparently this was a book that wasn't wanted by one of our team members and I got it and at first I thought, oh man, a bunch of books. But then this book has been such a treasure. And he remarks in this book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, that as followers of Jesus, we want the outcomes of Jesus' life. 
right? The empowerment that Jesus spoke with authority, that he had intimate, close-knit community, that people were being healed around him. How many of you would love to like pray for someone and see them healed? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? It's awesome. We want the outcomes of Jesus' life, but we don't want his lifestyle. We, we don't want to take time in secret places to pray. We don't want to withdraw often. Instead, we'd love to have a shortcut. Is there like a blog post I can read about this and just sort of get a quick injection? Is there a, a, a conference that I can go to? It just, I need a method. I need something fast. I need microwaved stuff, right? But here's the thing. Intimacy does not work that way. Have you tried that with your spouse? Okay, hon, quick. We got five minutes before bedtime. How's your day? Good? Great. Let's move on, right? You're not intimate if that's your life. It takes time. But it takes more than time. It takes undistracted time, right? We live in the age of distraction. That's the tension for us. Everything clamors for right now. Your phone is probably buzzing at this moment as I say this. Some of you are getting a social media hit or something like that, a text message, an email in your inbox, and it's just everything's like now, 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 now. It's all about immediacy. But prayers is not about immediacy. It's about spending lots of time with the Father because you want to get to know him. You want intimacy with your father. And that's what prayer is. He's calling us to become people of intimacy. So, it's not about performance. It's about perspective. It's not if, it's when. It's not about immediacy. It's about intimacy. Pastor Jimmy Cyber says this, intimacy with God is the hinge upon which all the issues of life swing. Every issue of your life swings on that hinge, intimacy with God. Friends, as I look at what kind of disciples do I want to make in Richmond, Texas, here's the kind of disciples that I want to make. People who want to be intimate with God who begin to experience the work of God because of the intimacy that they have with the Father. Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. There's no shortcuts. It requires undistracted time. And friends, the death and resurrection of Jesus have opened a door for you that no one can shut but you. It's an open door to meet with your father in secret places. It's an open door, an invitation to intimacy with him. And so, before I close, I just want to issue a specific challenge. This is what we're going to pursue together as a church body this week as we highlight the spiritual practice of prayer. Okay, you ready for this? 
I'm, I'm ready for this. Here's what I want, to, I want to challenge you to do. I want you to pray morning and evening every single day. Monday through Saturday. I want you to pray morning and evening every single day. I want you to find a secret place. For some of you, that, that might be like you have a commute to your job and it takes 25, 30 minutes. And I just want to challenge you, you're going to take that time as your secret place, your intimacy with the Father. And when that person cuts you off, you're gonna be so filled with the Spirit that you're just gonna bless them. And you're gonna say, Lord, thank you for them. I thank you that you love them, God, that you're with them, Lord, bless them today, right? You're just gonna be so filled with the Spirit because you're praying during your commute, your secret place. Some of you, you have a young one, and it's gonna be harder for you. Maybe it's nap time or it's some other place where you've just gotta pull away just for a moment, okay? I understand. I want to challenge you, the second thing, to pray longer than usual. Some of you, you're like, I pray for five minutes, easy, no problem. Make it 15. I'm challenging myself. Morning and evening, 15 minutes. I'm going to just pray, and then I'm going to look at the clock and be like, oh, only five minutes, i got to keep going, right? Because I'm challenging myself to more time. Why? Because you and I both know that the longer you spend there, the more distracting thoughts come into your mind. And you're like, oh, but I've got that thing. And I've, oh, I remember it. I've got to send that email. And oh, I was going to tell so-and-so about that thing. And oh, you just, your mind fills up with distractions. And I want you just to kind of practice the spiritual discipline of putting those aside. When it comes up, Lord, I just put it away. I make it obedient to you. I focus my heart on you. Just push yourself. Some of you, 15 minutes is like, that's no problem. I do that all the time. What about 30? So, pray longer than usual. Third, I want you to pray through three components. I want you to use the Lord's Prayer that we just read as a model. The first component, it's what we do at our prayer and worship nights. By the way, we have a prayer and worship night where we're gonna pray through these components. Look up, look out, look in this Wednesday, and I want you to come. 6.30 p.m. at the Friends of North Richmond building. It's gonna be a great time. Look up, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look up is where we just adore God. Lord, holy are you, great is your name. I love you, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. It's we look up. The second component is to look out. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray for my lost friends right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, I pray for my neighbors right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, my workplace, your kingdom come. So just looking out, outside of yourself. Third, look in. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're going to cover yourself. So look out, look up, look out, look in. Let me close with this. Prayer works. There's a saying that says, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. 
I read of a, a survey of small group leaders across the world. This was an international survey. And they determined that the main contributing factor to the person's ability to multiply his or her small group, what we call house churches, was their devotional life. Neither their culture, personal gifting, economic status, nor personality mattered much in their success. Those who multiplied consistently spent one to two hours in prayer and Bible study every day. Those who spent less time multiplied, but at a slower rate. Those who were not consistent in the secret place never multiplied their groups. There's a connection between the fruitfulness of your life and your devotional time, your secret place prayer with the Father. Jesus told us to abide in him and he would abide in us and that apart from him, we could do nothing. One more story. Years ago, I was uh, finishing up college and I had gone on a vacation with my family. I was still a single man and they took us on a cruise. And I thought, oh, this is gonna be so great. You know, cruise ship is awesome. Beautiful, beautiful locations that we were going to. It was a great trip. However, if you've been on a cruise ship, you know it's a place full of distraction, right? You've got food everywhere. You've got casinos. You've got performances. You've got pool parties. You've got just stuff going on all the time. In the middle of all the, that stuff, my heart was just burning for secret place time with Jesus. And so I found a little cafe in the kind of the fourth deck, I think the lower deck of the cruise ship. And I went and there was a coffee shop and I found a little corner booth and I just read the word and I prayed. It was just good for my soul. And I just started journaling. And I was praying specifically at that time for my future. I was finishing college. I was being trained to be a recording engineer. I had no clue what I was going to do. And I just began to pray just like a, a dream with God. And I was like, Lord, I want to pray for a recording studio. Father, I, I pray that it would have, and I listed the rooms and the state of the art features and all this stuff, and I literally prayed them out in this devotional time with God. About a year later, my father was in a lawsuit. Uh, he had some copyrighted works that were being used by someone in a way that where they were not supposed to be using them, and he won this lawsuit. He comes back with a large sum of money and he doesn't buy new cars for he and mom. He doesn't buy a new house or another house. He comes home and he says to me, son, I want to build you a recording studio. At the end of my journal, I had written, I will never be able to afford this. So if this ever happens, I'll know it was from you. And so I got to see this prayer come to life. A prayer that was prayed in a secret place. And the only one who saw was my heavenly father. My earthly father didn't know about the journal. He didn't know about the prayer. But my heavenly father did. And I saw God use that for his glory and for his name over and over again as people would come into the studio I would see God just touch them and do awesome stuff in their lives. Here's what I want you to know. Our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine according to his son, Jesus Christ. 
And I want to encourage you to be a person who seeks intimacy with God because whatever you're facing, whatever wave is coming your way, your God is big enough to handle that. Not just to let you survive, but actually to let you become all that he's called you to be in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.